About three years ago, Doug Perry, one of our deacons, approached the elders about a scholarship program where we supported the students from Mount Juliet that were uh, majoring or minoring in Bible. Uh, it started out kind of small, and now we have 11 students here, uh, nine guys and two girls uh, that are majoring or minoring in Bible at Freed Hardman University. I know that uh, as I get a little bit older and uh, think about the future of the church, a lot of us look at our, our youth and hope that we get uh, someone who will know what's right and go preach the gospel, and you hope for maybe one or two. And right now we have 11 that are studying and educating themselves to do just that. Uh, as a congregation, we should be very proud of that. Several of our young men have led in worship this morning. We'll have more to do that tonight. And we had two young ladies, uh, Hannah Duke and Lacey Shannon, who taught our ladies' Bible class this morning. Uh, I hope that you'll encourage these young people, let them know how much that we appreciate what they're doing. Thank you. Good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, what a beautiful day it is outside, how awesome it feels. Uh, it is so good to be here this morning. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 73, we'll be studying from there this morning, Psalm 73. We are very thankful for this morning, uh, for this Scholarship Sunday. Uh, what a blessing it is uh, for all the guys here uh, that are majoring in uh, Bible, minoring in Bible, uh, with the scholarship that we are offered. We are there, very thankful for that, very blessed to have that opportunity very blessed to have the, have the opportunity to worship with you this morning and to lead services here at Mount Juliet. I want to share with you a story this morning uh, before I begin my lesson from God's Word. Once upon a time, a daughter complained to her father that her life was miserable and that she didn't know how she was going to make it. She was tired of fighting and struggling all the time. It seemed just as one problem was solved, another one soon followed. Her father, a chef, took her to the kitchen. He filled three pots with water and placed each on a high fire. Once the three pots began to boil, he placed potatoes in one pot, eggs in the second pot, and ground coffee beans in the third pot. He then let them sit and boil, without saying a word to his daughter. The daughter moaned and impatiently waited, wondering what he was doing. After 20 minutes, he turned off the burners. He took the potatoes out of the pot and placed them in a bowl. He pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl. He then ladled the coffee out and placed it in a cup. Turning to her, he asked, Daughter, what do you see? Potato, eggs, and coffee, she hastily replied. Look closer, he said, and touched the potatoes. She did and noted that they were soft. He then asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. Its rich aroma brought a smile to her face. Father, what does this mean, she asked. He then explained what, that the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee beans had each faced the same adversity, the boiling water. However, each one reacted differently. The potato went in strong, hard, and unrelenting, but in boiling water, it became soft and weak. The egg was fragile, with a thin outer shell protecting its liquid interior until it was put in the boiling water. Then the inside of the egg became hard. However, the ground coffee beans were unique. After they were exposed to the boiling water, they changed the water and created something new. Which are you? he asked his daughter. When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a potato, an egg? or a coffee bean. 
In life, things happen around us. Things happen to us. But the only thing that truly matters is what happens with us and how we respond to that. We are each faced with struggles today. We each face times where we don't know how we're going to make it. We feel like we are completely stuck with no way out. We probably feel like giving in at times. No matter what your age, no matter who you are, you face struggles. I think about my little nephew who's just one year old. I mean, I'd say every time to my family, you know, he's got those wobbly knees and he's, he's face planting all over the place. And uh, it's funny to see him, you know, just learning to walk. But, you know, he's struggling to walk. No matter, no matter what part of your life, there's something that you're struggling with. But for real, the kind of struggles that we face today can really hurt us. They can really bring us down. In Psalm 73, we see a psalm from Asaph, a guy that is involved with the writing of many of the psalms. It's believed that he wrote Psalm 50 in Psalm 73 through 83, which is really cool to think about that he wrote all that. Now, thinking about Asaph, maybe a guy that a lot of people don't really know who that is. Um, I looked at his background a little bit, his family. We see that Asaph was a brother of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah was killed in the temple. This was a struggle that Asaph faced. Asaph was a Levite, and so were many of his family. And see, many of his family were killed in the temple in Jerusalem. That was a struggle that he faced. He also um, was involved with his position that was given to him uh, from King David uh, through the role of Solomon, where eventually he saw the division of Israel into two different nations. This was a struggle that Asaph faced. Asaph saw Solomon change from one of the wisest men in the world to one of the most wicked. This was a struggle that Asaph faced. If there was one guy that knew about struggles, it was Asaph. This man faced struggles. As Psalm 73 begins, we see that God has been good to Israel. Much like God is good to us all the time. All the time. But let, let's look what happens as we read verse 1 of 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to such, as, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Asaph is slipping, as we read there. He's struggling. He's in trouble. He's about ready to give up. He's about ready to give in. He's on the verge of falling fast. But what's causing him to feel this way? Let's continue to read in verse 3. For I was envious of the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they played like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with, with abundance. They have more than heart to wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. We read at the very beginning of verse 3, he's slipping because of envy. He's wondering why these evil people, these wicked people, are prospering with all the stuff that they are doing. 
Why is it that these people that are doing so many things wrong continue to have easiness in their life, continue to live carefree? I think we ask ourselves the same question today. As Christians, we try and be the best people that we can. We try to be the best people we can towards others, to serve others, to love others, to love God, to serve Him always. But it seems like in some of the most trying times happen to us, but yet we're trying to be good people. Wouldn't you wonder the same thing that Asaph is wondering? Don't we wonder that today? Why is it that I try and do everything right, but yet it seems like everything comes crashing back down? Why is it that this happens? As we read in verse 13, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence. When Asaph looked at the wicked, he saw wicked people. He saw the wicked acts that they were involved in, but they prospered. He was struggling in spite of the fact that he was living a good life, and they seemed to be perfectly happy. He felt that his service for the Lord was in vain. Maybe because he wasn't seeing the effects physically. Maybe that's what that was. He felt empty. You know, I think, I think many times when we have these things that happen to us, when we're trying to live good lives, when, when we're trying to do the right things, and then the negative happens, the little things come up, and they build up over time, and they completely overwhelm us. We feel empty. We feel like there's nothing that we can do because everything that we're trying to do right just gets shoved back in our face by the world. Is that how you feel today? But remember this. We're to love God, to serve God and keep His commandments. Because for one thing, we're commanded to. And second, because He first loved us. 1 John four nineteen. The third reason why we see that Asaph is slipping is because he's resentful of the wicked. He was ignorant. He said he was like a beast. Let's read in verse 14. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought, about, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream with one, when one wakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Think back to this past week. Think back to the beginning of this month of February. Maybe just the beginning of this year. It's not even been two complete months of this year. Have you been a beast towards something or towards someone? Have you been struggling with something that has caused you to not be yourself? Has there been something that's been happening that's not caused you to be like you? Have you been a beast towards something or someone? Like Asaph has said here. Are you feeling like that? Friends, God is here. God loves us. You say, Clay, I know that, but do you mean it? Do you mean it that you love God and that you would trust in your whole heart that he will take care of you? Do you truly, truly believe that?
with struggles in our lives, a lot of times, us as people, us as Christians, we try and build up a front, a wall, that people can't see what's really underneath. We can't, we want people to think that we're always happy, that we're always, you know, these perfect little people all the time, but we're not. You know it's the truth. You know that we each have our individual struggles, things that we each are bogged down with every day, things that we try and keep hidden. But friends, one day that thing's going to come out. And if you're not prepared for it, it's going to hurt. Have you prayed about that situation? Have you talked to other people about that? And most of all, have you taken your situation to God? Many times I feel like we don't. Many times I feel like we keep it bottled up inside of ourselves. I know many times, just like I was saying a minute ago, I don't want people to know that I'm hurting. But the truth is, we all are somewhere in our hearts. There's something that has caused us to be in pain. Have you taken that to God? Have you gotten that off your chest and talked to friends about that? Because you know, the quicker that you get it off your chest, you know that feeling. You've been there before. You know how much better that feels. To know that that's finally out there, that people can see that. People know that you're hurting. And people can be there to comfort you. When people don't know that you're struggling, you're the only one that knows. You're the only one that's got that situation going on. And you're going to hurt. No one else is there to help you through. Let people know that you're hurting. Don't put up a front. Don't put up a wall. Let them know. The psalm has a beautiful end as we see who our strength is in every situation. Let's read verses 23 through 28 as we close. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You, sh you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. How awesome is it to know that God is always holding our hands. He's always shining the light of where we need to go. He's always there. How awesome and comforting is it to know that, to truly, truly believe that. He helps us walk day to day. He helps us in our daily lives every day. This body that's standing before you, all the bodies in this auditorium are one day going to go back to dust the way they first came in the very beginning. We only have physical bodies. They're not always going to be here. But God and His Word will forever stand. If you haven't underlined verses 23 and 26, I encourage you to do so and, and live these verses. Let's read those again, 23 and 26. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Friends, what I want you to know this morning is that we are all struggling. There is something going on in our lives that we are struggling with that is hurting us to where we feel like we can't be ourselves. And maybe you've built up that wall. Maybe you've built up that front. But it's not going to stand. Something's going to happen where it's going to come out. And it's going to be so much easier, so much better if you take it to God 
And if you let that be known, so you're not hurt any more than what it should ever be. Consider the second verse from the song, Sweet Adoration. When I am troubled by heartache and struggle, I come and adore you. You take me away from all worldly sensation and endless temptation. All of my trials are lost in your love. Are you ready to let God take control of every situation in your life? Are you ready to let Him lead your life in everything? I want to leave you with uh, one verse uh, this morning before Chet comes and offers the invitation this morning. Turn with me to Psalm 120 and verse 1. Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and He heard me. Friends, take it to God. Know who's in control. Know who created us. And know who will help us in times that we need Him. God loves you, and He wants you. He wants you to come to Him for everything. For everything that goes wrong, for everything that goes right. God wants you. Are you ready to let him take control of your life? Jerome the Bus Bettis. Most of you, if you watch NFL football, you know who this person is. And a lot of you have a lot of respect for this person. Jerome Bettis was a 14-year NFL veteran. He spent time playing with uh, the Los Angeles Rams and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it came time for Jerome Bettis through his career. He set records. Uh, he won trophies. He won awards. But it came time for him to retire. He had been beat down. He had been struggling with physical injury. Uh, and he was kind of tired of, of going through season after season and not winning anything. And it came time for him to play his last game of his career in the Super Bowl. And Jerome Bettis finally won the Super Bowl. And they asked him, they said, Jerome, are you going to come back next year? And he said, I played NFL football to win a Super Bowl. And I finally won the Super Bowl. He said, I don't think I'm going to be coming back this year. Jerome Bettis struggled with injury. Jerome Bettis struggled with doubt. And Jerome Bettis overcame those struggles. No matter how beat down, no matter how sore, how wounded he was, he overcame that struggle and won the Super Bowl. This morning I ask you, do you struggle? Do you struggle with sin? Do you struggle with temptation? Do you struggle with trials? And if you can look me in the eye and honestly tell me that you do not, it, it's not the truth. We read in 1 John 1 and verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not within us. If we say that we're perfect, we make Jesus, we, we blaspheme the name of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, which is us. This perfect creation living an imperfect life and blanketed with the blood of Christ. This morning, in, in the few short minutes we have left, I want to look at the three phases of this struggle that we put up with, that all of us put up with. It's found in Psalm 13. If you'll turn over there this morning, that's where our text is going to come from. Psalm 13. And this... This psalm is laid out really nicely, um, and when I, when I saw this, I couldn't help but relate it to the message this morning. 
And when you think about this psalm that the psalmist is writing, listen to the emotion in each different phase that we're going to look at. The first phase that we encounter in our struggle is most importantly the suffering. Whether you struggle from an addiction or you have a, a past where you're not able to be honest with yourself, you're not able to be honest with others around you, or maybe you're not accepting God's grace, maybe you're putting off an opportunity to become a child of God. Whatever the sin is, whatever the struggle is, you're suffering. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, How long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Basically, he's asking, how long am I going to have to deal with this? I feel alone right now. I feel like you're not with me because I know that I'm being imperfect. As part of the suffering, he's acknowledging that he sinned. He is acknowledging um, that he's going through something right now that he can't get through by himself. You think about Habakkuk, asked the same thing in Habakkuk chapter 1. He said, how long, O Lord, how long shall I cry unto you, and how long will you show me iniquity? Why do you show me iniquity? When we suffer, we don't know what to do but ask why. We don't know what to do but say, who am I to blame for this? Ultimately, if, it, if it's sin, you're to blame yourself. You're to blame yourself because you've fallen into this trap. You've fallen into the sin, and you haven't chosen to get out. So look, here, here we go. We're, we're going through life. Everything's good. And then we start suffering. This sin finally gets to us and beats us down, and we realize what we need to do. And we're on the ground bleeding. Our spirit is bleeding. And the only thing that can patch it up is God. Look at what it says in verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? You know, I thought about it. You can't fix your broken arm with a broken arm. If you've already got sorrow in your heart, the only thing you're going to do is multiply and make things worse. The only thing you're doing is stirring up this pot of sorrow. When you try to work within yourself, we read, you know, in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3, it says... The foolishness of man perverts his ways. And even the wisdom that we think we have, this, this wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19. So consider why, why do you feel like you have to get through it by yourself? Why do you feel like you have to make things right on your own? You think about someone that struggles from alcoholism. You're not going to wake up one morning and say, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. Or someone who's got a, an addiction to gambling, you're not going to wake up and say, I'm not going to gamble anymore because you just can't quit. You cannot quit within yourself. And that is why you suffer. That is why you suffer. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. This comes the next phase. So we've suffered. You know, we're beat down, we're bleeding, we're hurting inside. And now comes a time where we're on our knees and the only place we can go is down and bow to God in supplication, in prayer. Look in verse 3. It says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him. And those that troubled me rejoice when I am moved. Now comes a time for him to come before God, for you to come before God and say, look, God, I acknowledge that I'm in the wrong. 
I acknowledge that I'm imperfect, that my life is not what you've called it to be. And I'm just asking you humbly and respectfully to consider me. I felt alone through this process because I've tried to deal with it on my own. And now I look to you and say, consider me and hear me. And why do you think it's so important for us to ask God that? Why do you think it's so important for us to go to God? You know, we're promised in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Jesus went through everything that we struggled with and became perfect. And when you think about it, from day one of creation, Adam and Eve messed things up and came this line of imperfection all the way to Christ. And then after Christ came this line of imperfection. But in that little gap, in that short amount of time, Christ lived the perfect life, the life that we should be willing to achieve. And think about Romans 12. In verse 12, Paul says, Rejoice in hope, be ye patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Rejoice in the good times, be patient in the times of suffering, and be constant in prayer. And that ties back in with this supplication. When we're on our knees, when we've suffered to the point that we hit rock bottom, all we can do is pray and go to God. All we can do is ask Him to touch our lives, to send somebody through His providence who can help us. Say, God, I, I've struggled with this problem, I've struggled with this addiction, or I've struggled with, um, you know, I've cheated on my spouse, I don't know what I, what I need to do, but send somebody to me, give me advice for what I should do to get through this. God promises us that He will supply all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 and verse 19. The big part of verse 4, it says, I, Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You know, those that trouble you, if you're sinning, it's Satan. If the one that is troubling you is standing victorious in the end, you know that Satan has overcome you. Consider and hear me, O God, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Consider me, O God. So we suffer. We suffer. It's the hardest part of this struggle, but it's the part that makes us stronger. Then comes the supplication where we have to humble ourselves, where we have to put our pride on the ground next to us and say, God, consider me. Give me an answer. Help me because I don't want Satan to stand over me victorious. So comes the suffering, the supplication. It finally comes the solution. Look what it says in verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. The transition word in here is the word but. It says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. You know, all these things have happened, and he's considered and heard God, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Why do you think he decides to rejoice in the Lord? Do you think he continued to sin? And said, I can continue to live this sinful life where I'm devoted to Satan and still praise God. I can still look up to God and say, I'm a faithful child. No. He made things right. 
He made things right and didn't promise that he never struggled ever again. We're going to continue to struggle just because we know the solution of how to get through our struggle and our suffering doesn't mean that we'll never fall into it once again. We just know how to deal with it better for next time. Look back in verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. God, you granted me one more day to make things right. I trust that you're going to grant me the time I need to make things right. And God may not grant us all time to make things right. But if you're here this morning, He's given you enough time to make it right. He's given you enough time to give your life back over to Him. Next passage I want us to look at is Psalm 23. Turn over there quickly, if you will. And, and most of us have memorized this passage, and it's a beautiful passage, and we read it like a, a piece of poetry. But this morning, I want you to read it through the eyes of someone that is struggling, through the eyes of someone that is suffering. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep in this open pasture that God has provided for me. A place to lie down, a place to rest my head. He gives me still waters to come drink of, spiritually and physically, where I'm not afraid, where no one's going to harm me. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. God has given me this book. The 66 books that make up the scriptures that tell me how I need to live my life in order to be right. He shows me that path of righteousness for His name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thou rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Though I'm in the middle of all this evil, I know You're still with me, God. I know You're still that shepherd. I know You're going to keep the wolves away from the pasture. I know that if I see a wolf, I can come close to you. Because the closer I am to you, the safer I am. Thou hast prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. You've given me so much, Lord, that it's abounding, that it's overflowing in my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in your house. Goodness and mercy... These key ingredients that help us find a solution to our sin. That help us find an answer to the things that we struggle with. Final passage I want us to look at this morning is the passage that Joseph uh, so capably read in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You know, I've got... Um, he read from a different version. I've got the, uh, the, the ye olde King James with me this morning. And I like the way it's, it's worded. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And the key that ties us all here is in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You read, you know, in Revelation 2.10, Be ye faithful unto death, and ye shall receive a crown of life. Be ye faithful through this struggle, and ye shall receive the crown of life. Blessed is the man that endures through the suffering. Blessed be the man that gets on his knees and offers supplication and prayer to God. And blessed be the man that finds a solution to his sin in a better way to deal with it. 
We are imperfect people, and whether we're, you know, we're, we're going up against sin with both hands like this, or whether we're squatting, sweating, crying, praying, asking God to give us this solution, God to pull us through this struggle, we're all struggling. And I ask you this morning, if you're not struggling, why are you indulging in sin? Why are you letting Satan put a wedge between you and God and letting him take your feet out from under you in this struggle? Maybe you've been a Christian and, and you struggled and you finally said, you know what, I want to submit to God. I want to become a Christian and be washed in that blood so that I have an opportunity to make things right every time I sin. But you've fallen away. You've fallen away from the church. Or you've never even been baptized before. You read in Acts 22 and verse 16, it says, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. There's plenty of places that, that talk about being baptized. There's plenty of places that talk about becoming a Christian and committing yourself. And if you say, you know, I believe in God. I've confessed that Jesus is the, is the Son of God, but now's not the right time. Well, tonight's not going to be the right time either, and next Sunday's not going to be the right time either. Now is the only time that is right to make things right with God. I ask you, if you're struggling this morning, if there's anything that we can do, there are brothers and sisters here that are going to welcome you. Don't be humiliated. Don't be humiliated to come before us and say that I have sinned. Confess your sins, therefore, one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed for the effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5 and verse 16. Whatever you need this morning, we want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to hurt with you as we all get through this struggle. Would you come as we stand and as we sing?